Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-452 of the Run Run Live podcast. Today is Sunday, April the 11th, and I tell you that because next week it is Patriots Day up here in Greater Boston, and you know what that means. Well, what it usually means is it's the Boston Marathon, but due to the apocalypse, there will be no marathon, at least not in April on Patriots Day. It's a strange thing. I was working in the garden yesterday, turning over my vegetable beds, you know, adding a little a little compost and a little soil fertilizer, and I realized that for the last 20 plus years, quarter of a century, I have not been working in my garden or working in my yard until after Patriot's Day. I would be deep into the red, misty paranoia of the taper weeks, trying to cling to sanity. And one of my rules has always been not to do yard work during the taper. (laughs) Taper time is such a fragile time that I just wouldn't risk it, just wouldn't do it. You know, you come out of those three or four months of intense, committed training, and somehow you have miraculously avoided injury, And you're not going to leave that effort under the bushes in your front yard. (laughs) But not this year. This year, I'm injured anyhow, and I've got no race. So it was nice to get out there in the sun, into the garden, work a bit before it gets hot and buggy. This week, we are going to talk to David, who is the owner of Caffeine Bullet. We're going to talk all about caffeine. He also does a podcast called the Bad Boy Running Podcast, so you want to check that out. Links in the show notes. So I'm a coffee drinker. I usually drink two 16-ounce cups of good coffee in the morning. I like the darker stuff, the Arabica beans, like Sumatra and Komodo Dragon and that sort of stuff. I get my coffee from Starbucks, and I grind it myself, and I love the smell of coffee being ground. And I love the smell of fresh coffee. I get great joy from this, from that first sip of hot coffee on a cold morning. Great joy. There are a few things so joyful in my life. So I'm going to keep doing that. But then I switch over to tea in the afternoon. And I've been mixing oolong tea, like Chinese restaurant tea, with yerba mate. Uh, Less than a half a teaspoon of each into my silicone tea bag. And then I refill it all afternoon without changing the tea grounds. And eventually, by the end of the day, it's just hot water. It's just, you know, something to keep my throat and my body all nice and wetted. I've never been a heavy medicator when running. And I know, I know those of you out there, you ultra runners, you take those caffeine pills and ibuprofen by the fistful during your events. But to be honest with you, I just don't think that's healthy. I think it's probably a crutch that you could train away from. But hey, everyone leads their own life. I will take a caffeinated gel before a race uh, or during a race when it gets hard, late in a marathon, 
to get that boost, you know, a few minute boost of energy. So today, yeah, we're going to talk about caffeine. Then in section one, I'm going to reread a piece I wrote in 2013 when I was coming back from my 18-month dalliance with plantar fasciitis, if you remember that. Very, very depressing time. Couldn't run. Couldn't run for a long time. But anyhow. And I went back looking for older, older podcasts, but since the great... Uh, website crash of 2012. A lot of the older stuff is is archived in these sort of weird text files that I have to parse out. So I have all that stuff. So in addition to the to the million words of content I have on my current website, there's probably another million words of content that's in these big text files that I have to parse out from the first half of the Run Run Live podcast and the Runnerati blog. I have this tradition of writing a piece before every Boston Marathon, and I'm glad I did this because it's an interesting historical document. And as you listen to it, remember, this was 2013. Remember what happened in Boston in 2013? Uh, Besides that terrible terrorism event, uh, I also ended up having a horrible race, and I was walking by the time I got to Newton. And because of that, I was behind where I usually would be. And where I usually would be was right there where that stuff happened. And uh, turns out I never made it to that finish line. Or more accurately, I made it to that finish line in 2014. And in section two, I'm going to talk a bit about pandemic shopping habits. (laughs) It's been a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, an experiment to observe consumer behavior, and I find it interesting. So I'm going to talk about that. And when I was out working in my garden yesterday, I had my phone in my pocket, my old iPhone, and I was trying to listen to podcasts. I didn't have the headphones, and I was just playing the phone. And I realized I couldn't because it's too noisy in my neighborhood on a Saturday. There's various saws and lawn equipment buzzing away. There's planes flying overhead. The dog is barking his fool head off at hikers in the woods and walkers on the street. It is a madness, a cacophony. And I'm still staying off my knee. It will be six weeks on Friday of this week. Coming up on six weeks. I had my appointment with the knee guy. X-rays didn't show much, except that I have very little arthritis in my knees. I have healthy knees. And I'll give you the play-by-play on the doctor dance of this week. I went into the doctor's office early on a Monday morning. They gave me a clipboard with paper to fill out, and each piece of paper asked the same questions, name, date of birth, etc. And I got through two of them before I was called in for my x-rays. And then I was hustled into an exam room with my clipboard, changed into a very utilitarian pair of exam shorts, And the lady, who is not a doctor but has the same basic training as a doctor, she and I talked about my injury. She poked and prodded a bit. And I asked her if she wanted my clipboard. She said no. And then the doctor himself joined me and went through the same routine. At one point, he started talking about me in the third person, which was very confusing. I've got this gentleman who's a runner and wants to keep doing it, and I'm thinking... Do I know him? Sounds like I should. But he said the knee looked a little swollen and recommended an MRI and a follow-up. And that was my five minutes or less with the doctor. Then another lady who was not a doctor came in with the MRI instructions. And I asked her if she wanted the clipboard. And she said, no, just leave it in the room. No one ever looked at it. It's probably still sitting on a chair with all my personal information for the other patients to read like an old copy of Highlights magazine. And I am already familiar with the MRI process from my injury in the fall, so that was easy. I got that this week, and I have my five-minute phone call with the doctor to follow up next week. And this is where he will offer vague comments, painkillers, and physical therapy. I will thank him and decline that offer. Now a few thousand out-of-pocket dollars closer to my deductible, I will get back to work as I have always done. And you should too. That's all we can control, right? We keep positive, we put in the work, and we let the road come to us. On with the show. 
It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Fitness, Recovery, and the 2013 Boston Marathon. Subtitle, Experience Gives Me Pause. These are interesting times for me. In two weeks, I'll be running my 15th Boston Marathon. I'm happy to be running after a fitful 18-month hiatus due to plantar fasciitis. I've been training since December as I slowly build back my strength and tolerance and avoid making the foot mad again. I started from zero in the fall. Sure, I was swimming and biking and lifting weights, but I wasn't running. As we all know, running is a very specific exercise. After a few attempts to come back over the year, I just gave up. It seemed like any significant mileage or intensity would cause my heel to become painfully inflamed. My orthopedic surgeon was out of ideas and out of treatment options. I just stopped running, and more importantly, stopped worrying about it. They say you can't start to heal until you reach bottom, and I guess that was the case. The heel pain never went away but it receded to a 1 or 2 on the 10 scale, and I was almost accidentally able to start doing some short, easy runs. I had no expectations, but it wasn't getting worse, so I started doing longer runs. Now, in a short few months, we have worked our way up to 20 miles at a time on the road without undue pain, and being the incorrigible animal that I am, somewhere towards the end of February, I started to think about the possibility of not just making it to the starting line at Boston again, not just comfortably running my favorite marathon, not just racing it well, but with the ultimate hubris, I began to think about qualifying times. I haven't run more than three days a week, and haven't been on the track for speed work at all, I have done some tough hill workouts and some long road tempo, and the heel has stayed at that 1-2 to level. I believe the activity has actually helped it heal. But of course, I would believe that. Now here I am, staring into the grinning teeth of the granddaddy of all marathons. It is an old acquaintance of mine. The first four or five Bostons that I ran were during my initial return to racing when I was rediscovering the strength in my body that I had put away after high school. These first few races were a battle. Mano a marathon, knock down, drag out battles to the finish. I set my marathon PR at Boston in these years. But every time I ran it, it damn near killed me. There was always suffering and staggering at the end. Sometimes I made it. Most times I ended up in that long death shuffle. But when I got past the first half dozen or so, I decided not to fight Boston anymore. I would qualify in the fall and run Boston in the spring. I would train enough to respect the race, but not race it to qualify. Choosing instead to enjoy the race for the event and spectacle of running. That it is. Some of those summer through fall campaigns were multi-marathon odysseys where I would pull off a qualifier by a whisker by the skin of my teeth. Real adventures. Something Don Quixote would be proud of. The last few years before my injury, the option of qualifying in the fall went away as the world began to crave and overwhelm our little local marathon. In these years, I didn't train for Boston specifically, but ended up qualifying incidentally by coincidentally being in shape for something else at the right point in time. But now, with this new injury knocking almost two years out of my running life, and the clock of life itself clicking inexorably ahead past my 50th year, I am once again in unknown and uncharted territory. There be dragons here. The way training is supposed to work is that you stress the body with calculated workouts and the body responds with the training effect and you get stronger and faster. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's not how it's been working for me over the last couple months. 
I made rapid improvement when I started up again, but that has stalled out as I peaked for Boston. The pace and time that I need to qualify at Boston this year is not onerous. I am, in fact, in one of the easier age positions, but I just can't seem to find that pace. And the comfort level in the race to hold it for 26.2 miles. I have put in some good miles. I have run two 20-mile races, a 16-mile race, and a dozen or so long training runs with purpose. I've seen signs of life in these races and runs, moments when I felt the strength and the pace rolling off comfortably like I remember, but I haven't found consistency, and that scares me. In my most recent race, the Eastern States 20-miler, I went out relaxed and felt strong. I felt extremely comfortable at 10 to 15 seconds faster than target marathon pace, but I ran out of gas at 12 miles, and I'm not sure I could have tacked on another 10K to that effort the way my leg muscles were acting up. I may have gone out too fast, but the slower pace did not feel comfortable. I'm not sure if it would have made a difference. At this point, I've got two challenges to racing Boston. First, I don't feel like I have a sustained, relaxed pace I can run at, a conversational pace, a cruising pace. Second, my legs don't seem to be able to sustain any pace for more than a half marathon before they start talking back. Add to this, I've still got an extra 10 pounds of belly fat that did not burn off, and I'm not confident. There is no doubt that I can run it and finish but I am hesitant to attack it, to grapple with it. The way I think about it, Boston can be cut into three sections. The first 16 to 17 miles are rolling down hills out of Hopkinton. 17 through 21 are the hills. 22 in is the long grind to the Peru. I have tested every strategy on this course. The best strategy I have found is to hold back for the first 17, It usually takes an enormous effort to hold back. And then you hit the hills. You can either attack them or run them steady. And finally, when you come off the back of the hills, you want to have something left to take advantage of the easier running. It all depends on being able to hold back and run effortlessly in that first 17. And without a comfortable pace in my toolkit, what the heck do I do? How do I hold back when I can't find that comfortable pace that is slow enough to relax, but not too slow to lose time? Even if I'm able to nurse this fragile mess of a pace into Newton, what do I do in the hills? Struggling on the hills is worth two minutes at least. Fighting the hills can mean death marching those last five or six miles to the Peru. If I get through the hills, what will I have left to take advantage of the fast bits? Anyway, I added up, it seems to equal me walking the last 10K. But one can't forget the marathon miracle. This is the phenomena of showing up uncertain of your fitness and being buoyed by the energy of the race to excel. And I do believe in this, and I have experienced it myself. Based on my 20-mile times, I'm only 5 to 10 seconds off a qualifying pace. Given this, you could argue that a well-executed race in combination with the Marathon Miracle could slide me under the wire. I sure do miss those 59 seconds we used to get. But this is Boston. Boston eats the unprepared alive and spits them out. I know. I have the chew marks on my ass. What should I do? Try to race it? Go out? at or near pace and try to conserve enough energy and hope to survive the hills? Or should I just take what I've got and enjoy the day, shake hands, kiss babies, leave the watch at home? It's a pickle. Whatever happens, I will show up reasonably fit at the starting line, and I will respect my great adversary and friend, the Boston Marathon. For that opportunity, I am grateful. Maybe there are one or two more epic adventures left in this bag of bones. And now for today's featured interview. (laughs) 
David, give us a 200 words or less on uh, who you are and what you do. I'm David Hallard. I am a, probably from the accent, British runner. And my background is I'm a fellow podcaster. I've got something called Bad Boy Running. I've got a company called Caffeine Bullet, which is a caffeine chew. And I also am a, a race director, mainly races with running and drinking or running and food. One's called Beat the Barrel, one's called the Beerathon, one's called um, the Let's Get Shit Raced. Oh, sorry, sorry, I swear, whoops, I need to let's get bleeped raced. <laughs> yeah, anyway, lots of things. I'm one of those people with, he's very good at, at doing not one thing, but not very good at one thing. All right, so you sent me a whole bunch of bags of this uh, caffeine bullet stuff. I just ate one. I just finally got it digested. <laughs> so now I'm, I'll probably start twitching on the floor here in front. Well, it's a good start to the morning, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't recommend every morning people have uh, heavy caffeine doses. But yeah, so I am a caffeine guy. I take two cups of coffee in the morning, and my coffee is, I make it super strong. So I've always always been a big coffee guy. Do you cut out before races or...? Racing, yes, I got to have. So most uh, are, if I'm doing, let's say it's a marathon, right? Mm. And typically those are going to start in the morning here. Mm. It's going to be eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. So yes, I will make sure I get my 16 ounce coffee down before then. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be very upset, right? (laughs) And then for your application, there would be a point in the race. I'm not constantly shooting caffeine or sugar, Mm these days um but typically somewhere around 18 20 miles where it starts getting difficult i might be looking for uh, an espresso love goo or something right Mm -hmm. get a shot of caffeine and sugar but uh usually i try to go less sugar these days just as i get older because i don't need it oh interesting do you think is that because you're fat adapted or just because you're okay yeah Ah. yeah And, and i'm not going as hard 20 years ago, I would have been right on the edge. And you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're burning jet fuel the whole time. Yeah. Whereas now we're a minute, a mile back from that edge. So, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? How we spend a period of our life just making sure that every run we do is really horrible. <laughs> just for the sake of ego. <laughs> just for the sake of ego. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm not riding this week. Cause I, you know, for some reason, I thought it was a really good idea to do hill repeats in the cold a couple of weeks ago. Oh, tough. Yeah. At, uh, at 100% effort. <laughs> yeah. My old body didn't like. So tell us about your product. Caffeine Bullet. It's a chew. So about the size of a shot block. But the different to most products out there, it's got very high caffeine. And so 100 milligrams, which is around a decent sized cup of coffee. Yep. Um, created it partly because in the UK in particular, we didn't really have an easy way to take strong caffeine in a race unless you wanted to take a gel and often you need to take two or three gels to get 100 milligrams of caffeine. So I used to cut out caffeine pills and put them in a little bag. And I think I finished one marathon having had seven caffeine pills and being a little bit shaky. And just figured, well, actually, I was, I was running in the Sahara and dropped a pill in the sand. And frustratingly, then you know, scrambling, trying to get it and figured there's got to be like a nicer way to yeah take caffeine and did some research turned out that when you chew things you actually absorb a lot of the chemicals in your mouth in your your tongue in your throat and so settled on the idea of a caffeine chew and we'll be going for three well we did kickstarter and then we've been going for three years now so kind of came into the u.s in about a year ago so sahara you did the marathon disable there sabo yeah that's right yeah that's brutal yeah yeah i mean i I made a lot of american friends when i was there actually um but it's um, particularly in the UK, it seems to be on a lot of people's bucket lists. And I've not done anything like it, like ultra running to a certain extent, where a lot of it is to do with how good you are at maintaining your kit, how much strategy you go into and how much planning. Yeah. But wow, what a race. I mean, being able to race with camels who are just running by you and yeah, yeah, it, absolutely no, I've, incredible. I've talked to people about that. It's super interesting. Just like you said, because you got to deal with the sand and everything. So it's that multi-day race across the Sahara Desert. And yeah. You get a liter of water a day. And one time these guys get lost in a sandstorm and didn't get found for a couple of days, right? <laughs> That's the thing yeah. that most people finish it because most people train so hard. But the stories coming out of it of the people that don't, you know, people just fall apart out there if they haven't prepped. Um, yeah. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Yeah, that's hardcore. Let's talk a little bit about caffeine, right? And like mm. you said, this kind of takes me back to sixth, fifth or sixth grade in school when we talk about where you're, you digest a lot of stuff in your mouth because there's actually digestive fluid in your mouth. 
mm-hmm. and you can absorb stuff through your mouth. It, it, it's not just your stomach and your intestines. It's all the way down. You're absorbing stuff. And caffeine is one of those things that gets readily absorbed through your mouth, right? Yeah, I mean, it's why when at university, when at college, uh, people sometimes squeal shots in their mouth to uh, <laughs> to get a faster buzz, exactly the same principle. But yeah, caffeine, it seems to be one of those drugs that is, while everyone understands it, they don't fully appreciate the different aspects of it. Unfortunately, for some people, it doesn't help everyone. So 10% of people, actually, it's just going to give them a, a bad night's sleep and they will actually run slower if they take mm. caffeine. So it's important to know that you can get your DNA tested, but you probably know just from having a cup of coffee how much right. of a buzz it gives you. Yeah. But yeah, caffeine's great because it, it releases fat cells into your bloodstream that can be used as a fuel source. So um, that means in things like marathons, you've got more readily available fuel, but also it saves your glycogen stores. And, and weirdly, it doesn't make it less painful or, or reduce fatigue, but it makes it feel like it does for some reason. Yeah. So while you're just as tired, for some reason, your body doesn't know that, your mind doesn't know that. Yeah. And so I've used it throughout my training. Unfortunately, with caffeine, they also haven't done many studies on repeated doses and so right. while we know a lot about how much it can help time to exhaustion no one's actually studied when you should take it if you're in a marathon like repeated doses but over 50 studies have shown that between three to five milligrams three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram is your optimal dose but that is a huge amount if you think that a small can of red bull is 77 milligrams i'm dealing in kilograms i should be in pounds shouldn't i um, yeah so it's uh, <laughs> it's about one to, same thing it's about one to three one to four milligrams per pound depending on your and it's very individual specifically like you said you're saying some people genetically just can't don't have the the dna to to handle yeah. caffeine huh, yeah i didn't about, know that about 10 percent. and how we process caffeine changes with our, our lifestyle as well so if you're a heavy smoker you'll process caffeine up to 50 percent quicker than someone who doesn't and similarly if you're taking certain drugs that also affects it so while we can give advice on when to take caffeine how much to take the advice could be dramatically off either too high or too low depending on well probably not too high given those numbers but it's something that people really need to try around with in their training and and find out what works for them particularly something like a marathon as you say you'll take it at 80 miles but if you're not a fast runner that stands the chance that you'll suddenly yeah. crash at mile yeah. 22, 23, the worst time. Yeah. So you, you really need to, once you start taking caffeine, you've got to keep on going and, and topping up, which is the unfortunate thing for doing ultras. It's when do you start taking it? That's the big call. Yeah. And so a couple of things there. Um, it's for endurance athletes. It fairly consistently shown in studies that it helps you right? Like caffeine gives you some sort of uh, boost. Same is true mm. for uh, strength exercises. Mm. It's more on the fence and strength exercising. Like if yeah. you took some caffeine before you lifted weights, if there's any benefit to that, or it's just making you feel better. But for endurance athlete, they have measured that and said, yeah, this will give you a boost, right? Of course, there's, I think in the Olympics, there's a top end, right? You'll get thrown out if you take too much, right? They give you like a little bit, but not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it used to be banned for a, a long time until they realized it was just too difficult to stop people taking caffeine because it's in chocolate and all these yeah. things that you don't realize. But the top end of it, there's not really a performance benefit after six milligrams. If you take more than that, I mean, you're going to have a heart attack anyway. But right. the, what is quite interesting is they've shown really high levels of caffeine helps with um, recovery and replenishing glycogen stores really quickly but then again they've not studied at low doses which is what they need to because the doses that you'd have to take to benefit from that you're not going to be sleeping for a week anyway so while you might (laughs) replenish your glycogen you're not going to sleep so you're going to be in a terrible state even if you've got this extra glycogen you're going to be yeah shaking so yeah yeah, so the the other thing that i wanted to touch on that you said is that it actually helps with fat burning Right. So that most of your diet supplements, there's anybody who takes diet supplements uh, that listens to either of us, probably not. But those are have a lot of caffeine in them Mm. because caffeine does this neat thing where it causes your body to burn more fat. So if you're exercising, it releases the fat, like you said, so it burns more, which for an endurance athlete who's fat adapted, that's awesome. Right. Mm Because that's my primary fuel source. Yeah. It's kicking that stuff out. So that's another benefit. And the other thing I found interesting when I was looking at caffeine was that it benefits trained athletes. You only get this effect if you're a trained athlete. If you're a sedentary person, it really doesn't do anything, right? Oh, I, I mean, I, I've not heard that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that that's almost the reverse of 
of the nitrates, the shots of beetroot, that if you're a trained athlete, it doesn't help you as much. I can't comment on that because I've not actually... Well, I read that. It might not be true. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see the article to understand it. And then there is, like every other drug, you can gain resistance to it Mm. so that the more you take it, the more use you get to it, right? And it doesn't have the same effect. So how would you balance that with your training, right? So if you're taking it all the time in training to get better workouts and you're not going to get the boost in the race, how does that work? There's actually contradictory studies on this. So there was an Ironman training set that they looked of people who were regular caffeine users and they still benefit from some of the performance elements of it. It's you certainly can the alertness and the mind altering element of it that does reduce the more you use it. So someone like yourself who's a heavy caffeine drinker. Um, you know, I, I personally don't recommend having caffeine unless you need it because it's such a powerful drug until you diminish it away. Mm. So you might find that if you were suddenly wanting to go for a new PB, if you cut caffeine out completely for a few weeks, then when you next took it, you would really find a huge performance benefit compared to what you're used to. Mm. So I'd, I'd always recommend for people, if you're a really heavy caffeine user, don't cut it out because you do get withdrawal symptoms and it, it will potentially affect your sleep. You could get headaches. You really need to wean yourself off if that's your intention. But don't four days before race day think, right, I'm cutting out caffeine because the, the performance benefit from that will be displaced by just the tiredness, potential headaches. For other people, though, absolutely, I'd, I'd say cut out at least for four days before. It gets out of your system fairly quickly and it will do by then, but actually there are some, there are some hormones some various other things that your body does produce and caffeine can cause it to produce equivalents of those. And your body then starts producing less the more you use it. So yeah. it really depends how, what performance level you're at, because for a lot of people, they don't want to get rid of their cup of Joe because it's nice. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, but if you're really looking to garner every last percent, then I would say save caffeine in your training for when you really need it. And that's probably the end of your long runs. And and maybe when you're starting your intervals, yeah. if you you take like like anything else, you do it in your sort of practice race. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, for me, I'd take something like a caffeine bullet when I'm doing my tempo runs, because it just makes it easier where the first half of your tempo run anyway, you're fit enough that it doesn't feel so hard. And then you just hang on. Whereas when you've got your caffeine kicking in halfway through mentally, it's nicer because your first half you're thinking I've got caffeine coming. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Right. right. So you talk yourself into feeling better. Yeah. yeah. And then when you do yeah. take it, you get that double effect. And so suddenly you don't dread your runs as much. And a lot yeah. of trading it actually is about completing the program. And yeah. the thing that stops you completing it is because you just, don't want to go out and run because you, you remember that pain. So you can get rid of that. You're more yeah. likely to finish. And the you take it like it's a, like a 30 to 60 minute to get into your system. Well, caffeine, typically that's true of caffeine. So caffeine would take between 15 to 25 minutes to peak in your if you swallow caffeine. And then it lasts at a high level for up to an hour. And then in your bloodstream for up to f- four hours, as I've said, though, that massively changes depending on what drugs you take, if you smoke, depending on your tolerance. If you choose something, though, um, so you get caffeine strips now, uh, you get things like run gum, you get caffeine bullet because it is absorbed sublingually, then it, it will start to kick in five to ten minutes. OK, that means that actually if I was doing a 5K race, for example, I'd take one just before and I'd take one maybe five minutes in because it's still going to hit my system to give me that strong push. And so think about your caffeine strategy based on the products you're using because it will be different between a cup of coffee, between a a gel and between like a chew because the kick happens at a different time. Right. And so for endurance athletes, people running marathons and and that sort of stuff, there's also side effects and these are going to be specific to the person as well. Sort of Mm. the downside of this is uh, don't try this for the first time as you're lining up for your uh, marathon because it does bump your heart rate up and you can feel super shaky. And if you're prone to pre-race anxiety, this will like multiply it times two. Yeah, of, uh, make you super nervous, and of course, and, you and already... people it affects some people's stomachs as well. And, yep. and that's um, the other thing I was going to say is it gives people the GI problem, as they say. Yeah, I mean, not everyone, and you do get used to that as well. But I would say to anyone running any race that's an A race, just take a medium, no matter what, because peace of mind is there. And when I was in the Sahara Desert, 
I go to a festival called Glastonbury every year. I use a similar strategy where the fewer poos you have to do, the happier you are. So I was chogged <laughs> up. I was backed up for uh, for days on end and uh, you know, small diamonds were coming out each night. Um, so <laughs> you might as well take a medium for that peace of mind, uh, whether you're having caffeine or not. Oh, that's funny. I've never done that, but because uh, I think that might give you cramps as well, right? And yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, don't don't take too much because you might get. A, I mean, as, yeah. as a trail runner, you know, <laughs> you, you pull over, you do your business, you start running again, right? You know, you do, you do. It's <laughs> part of life, right? Um, marathon, not so simple sometimes. Yeah, and, uh, and no so. one wants to be that person in the math and with spray tanned legs, right? Yeah. Nope. So, <laughs> Oh God! How do we get on this subject? So, so that's <laughs> I think, that's, yeah. that's caffeine, right? But you decided to, um, like you said, you decided to to wrap a business around this. And typically, what I found with I've had some some experience, small experience with startups. But you think about here's a problem that nobody's solving, right? That's mm. typically the genesis of it. Then you wrap a user story around it, right? My demographic is Sue, and she's a 45 year old marathoner runs four marathons a year and this is her story and how my product works into it right or whatever right you go through that thought process what's your thought process on that as you were spinning up your business i've probably not been as strategic as maybe i should i i just wanted a product that i'd use under the hope that i could have something to improve my racing and if it helps me then it helps others this product is it's strange because caffeine's so frequently used by people i wouldn't really say that we've got a particular customer in mind because um We've seen a big difference between the, the UK and, and America, partly because my brand is stronger in the UK. So it's used primarily by runners and triathletes, Ironmen. In the US, because it's sold on Amazon, actually, it's really used by people who are doing shift works and, and tired parents and people studying because you've got more people. You can have products that just cater for specific needs. And so there's a whole reef. Uh, you've got so many more caffeine products than we do that people just use for their everyday and I, I think my instinct is that Americans use caffeine more per mm. capita than we do in the UK. So I made these to help runners run faster to kind of our, our phrases. There's a PB in a personal best in every pack. So that that would delight me of the stories of people doing that. But actually, I've now got friends who they're using them as doctors on night shifts or you know, when I go to Glastonbury again and we're trying to see all the all the bands which want to go dancing, I'll use Caffeine Bullet then. So it, it really is one of those products that wherever you'd normally reach for a coffee or an energy drink, is just faster acting and fewer calories. Yeah, I never liked coffee growing up. You know how I learned to like coffee? I was, <laughs> no. I was working the graveyard shift in mm. my uh, late teens at a book printing factory. So wow. you know, start time, what did we start? We started at eight o'clock at night, no, 12 o'clock at night. You know, start, yeah, work through the night. So the the third shift. And uh, that's where I learned to like coffee. Wow, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's there's another application for you. Third shift. <laughs> so all those book printers out there. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there are any book printers anymore. <laughs> yeah. Probably not having to work overnight anymore. I just thought, yeah. How's it going? How's your traction? Yeah, good, actually. It's obviously COVID's been a, a complete nightmare. We're used often for people in races more than training. And so, but even right, right. Yeah, with all races cancelled two weeks before the London Marathon and people aren't training as hard, people aren't racing as hard. And so we saw massive drop-offs, but actually, yeah, it's we've had really, really positive feedback. And what's really nice actually is being my company is every time someone has a good race, it's so nice to know that you've personally have, have had an impact in that. Not everyone's going to like it. Some people hate caffeine, some people hate chewing things but it's so positive when you hear people who it's, it's really transformed their racing so do you have a background in the sort of confectionery world of some sort that you were able to pull off this formulation i worked out in uh Criden yeah. at the nestle uh manufacturing out there no way the project out there yeah and that's where i learned about this orange chocolate because the uk is all about orange chocolate that's you don't have that in the U.S. Terry's that's chocolate not orange. a flavor. Yeah. Oh, they're delicious. Oh, is it not a flavor? Really? It's not a thing in the U.S. Oh, yeah. you're missing out. Oh, it's it's weird because it's the only round chocolate. Google it, listeners. It looks like a chocolate orange, like an orange. It's got segments that fall apart. Well, we, you... we have those things. I'm saying the flavor. Oh, right? the flavor. So, gotcha. so if you go buy a Kit Kat bar, yeah, 
in the UK, it's orange chocolate flavored, right? Or yeah, it can, it can be, be. Yeah. right? Yeah. You wouldn't find that in the US. Well, no, I mean, my background, I, I was someone who just made lots of, if I had an idea, I'd do it. So I had a t-shirt design company. I did these races, the Beerathon. I invented a product called Camel Toes, which is a, <laughs> a bungee cord that fits between camel backs for when you're doing adventure racing. Didn't sell well that one, sadly, but I didn't have any experience in food manufacturing. And so I actually went to a sweet manufacturer rather than a, a sports nutrition product because I wanted to get the flavor right and um, just worked with them at ways in which we could incorporate because caffeine's very bitter. And if you're not used to caffeine, your palate is very different. And this is what's amazed me. Most people love the flavor of the chocolate orange, but if you don't have any caffeine products at all, you probably will find a, a, like a slight bitterness, you know, that, that dark right. chocolate element. Right. So yeah, we kind of worked with them and we couldn't get anything that tasted nice. So we, that's why we had the mint because mint's a strong flavor. Yep. And then when we started doing the chocolate, we found that in your brain, it associates the caffeine flavor with the chocolate to make dark chocolate. Right. But it took a while for that flavor to come through. And so we needed something like a note at the beginning. We're like, what can we mix? And we're like, chocolate orange, let's, let's try that. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's just so, it's almost one of those Willy Wonka boyhood dreams where I, just in a factory, just chucking in flavors and making stuff <laughs> and then trying it. And you've got to wait for it to mix. And then it comes down the, the production line and then you're there and you're like, wow. And then, yeah, it was just such a, just an amazing experience to have. So how long do these things last? Like if you got them in your kit bag? Whoa. Well, this is the point where we don't know. <laughs> we meant a best before. I haven't found a best before. I think when the aliens come and there's just cockroaches after the nuclear war, there's probably going to be caffeine bullets there. But they, I mean, there's there's not much in them. We've, we've tried to strip everything out that, that complicates things. So it's primarily sugar, um, a little bit of egg white powder, and then the yeah. caffeine. And so there's nothing that really goes off. They soften slightly over time, but okay. I've still got ones from when we first made the batch three years on that are perfectly good. So if you buy some in the future, we'll put a best before date on it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's going to be yeah. fine. Like gonna, It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. If you, no, if I've, I've had, I've had the awful experience of grabbing an old gel for a long <laughs> run and getting, you know, out 12 miles and trying to eat it and going, ah, this thing's gone. You know? I'm yet to find. It depends which which brand really. Like shop, I've got loads of shop blocks, Cliff uh, shop blocks, and I'm sponsored by them as well. And I've still got some flavors that aren't my favorite. That they just look exactly the same. Seven years on, <laughs> that should scare us, shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, potentially. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like McDonald's burgers, isn't it? You know, they yeah. last forever. So, what are your next events? What do you got coming up? What are your adventures? Well, unfortunately, I'm in, I'm injured at the moment. I've been, ah. Yeah, long-term injury. I've really wanted to be running a 100-miler race. I've never done one. Yeah. And our podcast is quite ultra-focused. And so it's strange. It almost seems like I, I'm not part of the club yet. Whenever yeah. I speak to people, yeah, yeah, they yeah, always yeah, like... Yeah, so they, I read a 50-miler. They go, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they can always yeah. pull it out of the bag, can't they? It's like, well, what's your 100-mile time? Like, oh. So I don't necessarily want to do it because I, I'm someone who trains... Like when I train, I train hard. Like yeah. for the MDS, I was doing 125 mile weeks. Yeah. And so I just think, oh, do I really? I'm, I know once I start that ball but rolling. But it's less intense, right? It's okay. It's, you're not going to jump right into a 125 mile week, right? No, gonna, oh, definitely not. I mean, yeah, and that, I mean, if you peak up in the 90s, mm. you know, and that includes some sort of 50 mile or 10 hour overnight run, right? Yeah which is the majority of that. So it's, it's really not that bad. It's just a lot of long, slow, because you're not training to win, I'm assuming. I mean, the I mean, real guys train. are doing the hill repeats. And I will train to win. Ride. Yeah, I might not win, but I'm an incredibly good runner. But I think I could probably find a 100 miler that I could win. And yeah. knowing that, I'd probably therefore seek it out because it's a better story. But they, Yeah, the, weird things happen after 75, though. <laughs> that's what I, well that's what i've heard i'm yet to properly walk in an ultra which yeah. shows that i've not gone long enough yet yeah. but i will still do my hill repeats i will still do my my tempo runs when i train long miles it's just that and i live in london and the way i get my mileage in is i run everywhere so if i go to the shops if i go to a meeting 
I did a 20 mile day on a Monday once with um, nine different runs, just to and from work and meetings. None of them more than four miles. That's my secret to trying to get those miles is you just don't take any public transport at any point. Yeah. Oh, that's one way to do it. Yeah. Especially if you're in London, you can go everywhere. You can do all of London in like 20 miles. I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much actually. Yeah. I mean, is New York the same or is that, is it more? Um, New York's a little bit bigger. Boston, certainly. You can do all of Boston in a Mm. 10K. So that's on my bucket list as well. Probably the only marathon on my bucket list is Boston. I I just think it sounds. When they get back to having that, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love the, compared to all other marathons, it seems to have so much more going from it with the the fact that you've got to qualify, that you get your number linked to your time, the history. Yeah. It seems pretty special. It is. It is indeed. So, all right, I'm going to let you go. That was fun. Well, let thanks me know for if you need anything. So tell us where people can find your stuff. If you want to try Caffeine Bullet, you can go to caffeinebullet.com and I will set up a discount code for 20% just off the top, the top of my head for Run Run Live. But we're also on Amazon. And if you want to follow us on our podcast, it's Bad Boy Running and we're kind Bad of uh, ultra focused. And yeah. uh, But you know we're we're still young compared to uh to chris we're only half his age so so you're punk rocker is that the bad boy thing i mean why is it a bad boy i used to just call things bad boy a lot when i was okay. younger it's like right. hey hey what what do you think of these bad boys or i don't know why and so bad boy running seemed like at the time there weren't any other podcasts out there that were branded as this is pretty silly and stupid yeah um which is what we kind of specialize in so yeah, it, yeah. the only thing is it has put think female listeners off thinking it's yeah. just about yeah. bad boys i can see that yeah it's a boys club yeah yeah which actually is we're quite the reverse because we you know ali's ali's female and but also we're we're both very liberal in our views and so we we've done episodes on the menopause and and yep. various other very specific issues to females yeah check us out i will i will all right thank you we'll Legend. see you later thanks chris yep have a good day Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Pandemic shopping trends. Interesting peek into human behavior in the apocalypse. These are interesting times for me. I work with businesses that are in grocery and retail, and my career has been generally in supply chain and technology. And the pandemic has created the conditions for an interesting experiment. What happens when you lock everyone in their houses and put them under stress? How does that change the way they buy things? And through that lens, what does it tell us? So first, you have all seen the panic buying when we entered the pandemic, when all the toilet paper and disinfectant was cleared from the shelves. So the toilet paper was an interesting case study. Did people start pooping more as we went into lockdown? No. There was some hoarding, but mostly the toilet paper was just in the wrong place, in the wrong form, or more specifically, in the wrong supply chain. So think about it. Where did all these people poop before lockdown? Out in the world, at the office, at a restaurant, etc. And when you're in the office restroom, you may notice that that toilet paper is different. It comes on a big roll or some other industrial size type thing. And it turns out the companies that supply TP to businesses are different. They have their own warehouses and trucks. The manufacturer of these Office-type product packages is different as well. It's an entirely separate supply chain. And when we shifted all those people to their homes, there was no way to quickly redirect those industrial supply processes. The toilet paper was still out there, but you couldn't get it or use it. Same sort of thing is true for groceries. All the food that used to be consumed in cafeterias and restaurants shifted to home consumption, and this led to an increase in grocery sales across all categories of 20 to 30 percent. Your local grocery store had a lot more revenue this year, and that also caused supply problems as those retailers had to find the extra product to support these increases in demand. But a good question is, did they make more money? Well, turns out that's a bit of a wash because they had to spend a bunch of money 
on extra health and safety measures for their employees and customers, and much of the increase was in online shopping, home delivery, or buy online pickup at store, which is more expensive for the grocers. Another big shift that has been getting a lot of press is this shift to e-commerce, online buying, home delivery. And this business increased again by 20 to 40% for most retailers. This shift to online shopping has been growing at a double-digit pace for decades, but the pandemic kicked it into overdrive. Retailers are still trying to figure it out. They aren't designed for it. They are designed to ship stuff to stores, put it on the shelf, and then you come in and get it. When they have to pay someone to go out into the store and pick the product for the customer and then pay someone else to deliver it, it costs more. And why that matters is that these are high-volume, low-margin businesses. In some cases, they actually lose money on these e-commerce orders. But they are getting better. This has precipitated a rapid development of systems to support the e-commerce business model, like inventory positioning and promising and all this other stuff. We're catching up. Another obvious trend is that people are making fewer trips to the store, and when they do, they are buying more. This is called basket size in the retail world. Basket sizes are up. And if you think about it, the other impact was a shift to larger pack sizes. When people make fewer trips and get more stuff, they look for bigger packages. Uh, the exception to this is convenience items. Convenience stores have done really well on convenience items. As people seek to avoid going into stores and staying in stores, they will zip in and out of a smaller format store and grab something prepackaged to eat. But it's a wash for the C stores as well, because... They also sell gas to commuters who have stopped commuting. So less gas is sold, but lots of lottery tickets as people dream of cashing out on that big win. And all this makes sense, right? But it causes stress in the supply chain. Supply chains don't deal well with highly variable demand. And by the way, if you've been paying attention, you may have noticed that everything costs more as well. In a low-margin world... All they can do is pass that cost on to you, my friend. But what else is going on? People trapped at home caused a big increase in everything home goods. If you want new furniture, you'll have to get in line because everyone else does too. All of that home decor, home goodsy stuff is all sold out. And of course, as we athletes know, that everything home fitness related is sold out as well. All the bikes, the treadmills, the weights, everything was cleared for those home work outers. I hope they actually use it. I'm thinking in six months, the home gym aftermarket is going to be a thing. You'll be able to just drive around the rich neighborhoods on a Saturday and pick up treadmills from the curb. So home organizing stuff and home office stuff also surged. Interesting item, spa-scented candles sold out. So some of you are burning candles and incense. So some of you are burning candles and incense to stay sane while you talk to me on Zoom calls, because I can't smell it. Home entertainment sales went up as well. Games and puzzles, as well as computer games, they're hot sellers. An interesting thing is that the internet infrastructure companies that provision all the hardware in these data centers around the world, they've been booming as well, because everyone's working remotely. You need different infrastructure. Outdoor activities have increased. Fishing stuff, hiking stuff, gardening supplies, anything to do with puttering around outside on an afternoon is all selling well and sold out. I see these people out hiking in my woods every day now. There seems to be a healthy refocus on family time and exercise. And the data shows this. People are trending to buy healthier options. But at the same time, they're doing a lot of comfort buying as well. So it's a mix as people deal with the changes forced on them by the pandemic in different ways. And I'm guessing the weight loss industry is going to see a big boom as we all try to squeeze back into work clothes for the office. Like I said, all of this is very interesting to me. 
It's an event that is probably unique, let's hope, to our lifetime, an experiment in quarantine. I'll be interested to see how it changes us in the long run. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, okay, my friends, we have shaked and jittered from our caffeine through the end of episode 4-452 of the Run Run Live podcast. Now it will be impossible to sleep tonight. I went in yesterday and got my first vaccine shot. Yay! It was the Moderna vaccine. Moderna is a Boston company. I got in there early, in the early morning, and I have my second shot scheduled for May. And I felt fine all day, a bit thirsty, but fine. Worked in the garden, stacked wood, ran my errands. Then I met my buddies for a trail ride on the mountain bikes, and it was a wonderful ride until I crashed (laughs) as we were coming in. And it was one of those weird things, those weird split-second things that happens so fast you just can't respond. Uh, We were crossing a road section, you know, going slow, talking, and I had my right hand off the handlebar for some reason, and Frank drifted in front of me, so I instinctively pulled the brake on the left, which is, unfortunately, the front brake, and with the big rubber knobby tires and the and the tar, my wheel locked, and my momentum threw me over onto my right side, and I didn't hit my head, but I landed pretty heavy on my side and was in a fair amount of pain. Still am today, but it's getting better. I I seem to have a good bruise on that latissimus dorsi and the rib there, but I'll live. The weather has been fantastic. Warm and dry. The trails are all dried up. And I got a surprise visit from Just Plain Dave, our ultra-running friend who lives a bit south of me on Thursday afternoon. We've had him on the podcast. Remember Dave ran that marathon out in Israel? So I couldn't run with him, but we went on a two- or three-mile hike down by the pond and let Ollie get some exercise. It was good to get out and talk to someone. He got to experience the canine crazy that is Ollie Wally the Crazy Collie. Ollie is turning two years old, and he's starting to mellow out a little bit, but he has his moments. And Dave and I talked through my new sci-fi podcast that I'm putting out bi-weekly as well, and he helped me talk through some plot points and recommendations on character arcs, and that's been fun, producing that, and I think the last couple chapters have been really, really good. So don't forget to go out there and subscribe, listen to it, Acast, iTunes, it's after the apocalypse, leave a review, tell some friends. Give me some feedback. And finally, I have an editorial clarification. What do they call those when they put them in the used to when people used to read newspapers? They would have that thing in the corner there. It would be a what do you what do you call that? I'm gonna have to go Google that now. So I went out and Googled it. It's called a correction. So I have to post a correction today. An editorial clarification for my friend Russ, who used to live in Duchess. He sent me a note that he was disappointed in me for referring to R2-D2 as a humanoid robot in the last show. And yes, indeed, you are right. I meant human-like, not humanoid. Probably should have gone with C-3PO, but my point was we are still a few years away from a general artificial intelligence that can enable robots to do all things that humans can. And you know, there was an actor inside of R2-D2 in the Lucasfilms, right? It was an English actor named Kenny Baker. And he was three foot eight inches tall, and he was R2-D2's inner human. So looking back over the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of adventures, haven't I? Not much training, but a lot of adventures. The next thing I have on the calendar is the Patriots Day Mile, which is being put on by the BAA, a virtual race, next Monday. I'm going to take the week off anyhow, just to de-stress a little bit. I should be able to run a mile or walk a mile. Honestly, I like the hat, so I signed up just to get the hat. So it's a $75 hat. (laughs) After that, I'm signed up for the Hood to Coast Relay at the end of August out in Oregon and the Boston Virtual in October. I signed up for the Boston Virtual because I don't want to waste a charity bib, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to requalify ever. And it counts towards my streak if I do decide to try and run again going forward. 
I'm starting to consolidate, circle around and consolidate on a plan for this rehab period. Uh, the last few times I've had these types of injuries, these leg injuries, I've switched to cross-training to build strength and flexibility while letting my legs heal. And I'm thinking about joining the gym now that I'm vaccinated, and perhaps I'll start hitting the pool, doing some weights, just something different, right? I think the change will do me good. It always has in the past, and the time off won't kill me either. But that's the opportunity. Look ahead, see where the advantage lies. Look inside and see what you've got for tools to use, and then you use them the best you can. And I've got that itch, that itch to start a new project. And you've got to scratch that itch, right? And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.